COVID times and during quarantine, I think that that's more important than ever because everybody is sort of just kind of shell-shocked and trying to figure out how long this is going to go on, how long they're going to have to kind of keep treading water. Even the people who are who are having success and are seeing their businesses grow, you know, there's a lot of additional effort that's going into that. So anytime that I'm able to work with my clients and say, hey, how can I help you outside? Welcome, everyone, to the Cassandra Properties Podcast, Episode 23. Uh, we have a treat for you guys today. Uh, we are joined with uh, with two folks that are doing some really unique things in the banking space, uh, one of which I've had the pleasure uh, to get to know over the last few years and, and made an immediate impact in how, uh, not necessarily how I was doing business, but how I was perceiving the banking relationships. Uh, so we're joined today by Megan Hallinan, the Senior Vice President of the Commercial Banking Team at Bank United, and Marshall Fulton, who is the Vice President of Commercial Private Banking. So how are we doing today, team? We're doing good? Excellent. Excellent. Great. Thanks for having us. Uh, we appreciate you, you joining us today. Um, certainly anomalistic times that we're, we're dealing with here. Um, and I think while banking relationships have always been an important part of, of how we operate, I think never, uh, it's never been more important or relevant to have the right connections and the right relationships with your, your bankers. And you guys bring something uh, to the table that in my experience was outside of the box and very different. Uh, Marshall started to open my eyes to different opportunities uh, in the banking space that quite honestly, we hadn't seen much of out here on Staten Island. So if we can start, uh, Megan, just give us an overview of, of what makes uh, Bank United so different and what are you guys doing in the marketplace today that sets you apart from what, at least we're used to out here in Staten Island in particular? Sure. Um, well, thanks again for having me. Uh, I joined Bank United in 2015. Prior to Bank United, I was with North Fork and Capital One Bank, uh, which a lot of people know from this area. So Bank United was brought back to the market in 2013 by the old CEO of North Fork Bank. So a lot of the bankers and relationship managers that we have here um, come from that prior institution. So although Bank United may not sound like a, a name that many people are familiar with, we've really you know, hit the market hard, especially in real estate over the last you know, seven years. And, you know, a lot of it has really just been doing what Marshall and I are doing, which is, you know, picking things that we're really good at. You know, Bank United does not want to be everything to everyone, but we want to pick our niche businesses and do that really well. Uh, when it so we're investing in technology and we're investing in people over branches. So you're not going to see Bank United branches on every corner, but we are going to bring the bank to you essentially. So especially out in Staten Island, where we may not have a brick and mortar location, we absolutely, you know, wrap our arms around Staten Island and offer sort of white glove commercial banking services. So from deposits to loans to cash management, obviously PPP was a great time for us to shine and show that you know, again, like you said, I think now picking up the phone and getting your banker, um, you know, as soon as possible with everyone working from home and getting things done, I think we were really able to show that our white glove service is is worth, um, you know, is worth banking with us and our knowledge. And something that Marshall's done really well, as you said, is sort of, you know, in times like these for us, we're finding that it's not just the banking, it's a lot of it is more, you know, being a consultant and having other contacts in the market and being able to help in other ways besides banking um, and give advice and connect people where possible. So that's really interesting. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks are saying what you're saying today, but it seems like this has been part of the culture uh, for the better part of seven years for your bank. I mean, was that always kind of woven into the fabric, investing in human capital and investing in the technology instead of the brick and mortar? Absolutely. So when we came back to New York, so John Canis, 
bought Bank United, you know, back in 2009. They went public in 2010. So we have a very large branch network in the Florida market um, based out of Miami. So when coming back to New York, we just saw the future of banking um, and decided to invest in, again, people in technology and these niche businesses. And it really has paid off. You know, we've grown a huge portfolio, um, especially in the real estate market over the last seven years. And again, just, you know, having these small teams, relationship managers, um, and then having the technology behind it. So we have the technology of the bigger banks, but we have the relationship management of the smaller banks. So uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article about the decentralization of real estate in the in really the country, but in particular uh, the larger cities, with a focus, of course, in, in New York City. And we had seen a shift, certainly not seven years ago, but on our side, about three years ago, we started to think, hmm, uh, perhaps it's not as much about having the brick and mortar and having that physical location, and it really was about the people the connections, the relationships, and of course, the technology. Uh, and with that, I'd like to jump over to, to Marshall. Uh, he invests in people, honestly, like nobody I've ever seen in the banking industry. There was an immediate connection uh, and he began to connect dots and continues to connect dots for me in such a meaningful way. Um, it's difficult to quantify how important that is. I know you guys did uh, somewhere around 4,000 notes and just shy of about a billion dollars in PPP, uh, which is amazing, remarkable. Uh, I can tell you from the bottom of our hearts in the small to mid-sized business community, that was the absolute lifeblood for us in a very scary time um, where there wasn't that relationship. And, and to be candid, uh, quite a few banks were, were kind of looking to find ways to not perform there. You guys did a remarkable job. So Marshall, do you want to talk a little bit about that effort? Yeah, I, you know, I, I just have kind of always, and thank you for saying that, James. Um, but, you know, I've just always kind of tried to, to look at it a little bit differently, look at banking a little bit differently because, you know, bankers were, we're a dime a dozen. There's so many of us out there. Every single one of our business cards says vice president, relationship manager, and everybody says it's about relationships. It's about relationships. But I think not a lot of people actually follow up on that. A lot of people can say it, but there's not a whole lot of follow through. And my whole thing is we can be good at what we do. We can have great technology, great people, but a lot of times that's just not enough. I, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm harder. I'm, I, I work hard. I am not the hardest worker. I have friends who work, you know, until midnight, 1 a.m. I'm not going to work till midnight, 1 a.m. I have two under two. That's just not an option right now. <laughs> uh, I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy. I have friends who are significantly smarter than me. Um, I like to think that I've done, you know, a, a great job of networking and expanding my contacts, but I also know people who are doing a better job. But what I, what I do think that I do uh, better than most, if not, you know, all of the bankers I meet is that I try and help my clients outside of banking. I'm not just going to say, how can we help you guys with your treasury management, with your financing to secure a line of credit? Uh, I'm going to think about what I can do, who I know, and how I can help them outside of banking. And I think that that's right now, especially, I mean, I've always, I've always tried to do that, but I think right now during, you know, COVID times and during quarantine, I think that that's more important than ever because everybody is sort of just kind of shell-shocked and trying to figure out how long this is going to go on, how long they're going to have to kind of keep treading water. Even the people who are who are having success and are seeing their businesses grow, you know, there's a lot of additional effort that's going into that. So anytime that I'm able to work with my clients and say, hey, how can I help you outside of banking? Or even even if they're 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 not my clients, um, you know, I just I always it's literally no skin off my back to say, hey, listen, I I know a guy who might be able to help you with that. And I think the first most basic way that I do that is, you know, my first seven or eight years in this business, I was a commercial lender is if I would, if I knew that there was not really a shot of getting a loan approved at whatever institution I was at, you know, obviously Bank United now previously Santander, but I would just say no, but, and, you know, I know bankers, at tons of other banks, some of them may have different credit, uh, you know, credit underwriting appetites. And I would say, listen, I can't necessarily get this done for you, but I know somebody at XYZ Bank. And 
and you know, I actually, I, I kind of PPP was, was an interesting situation because, uh, you know, we were only working with our, with our clients. It was, it was a program that a lot of banks said, we, this is something that we're just going to do for existing clients. And so there were a lot of people who came to me and said, uh, can you guys help us out with this? And for, you know, for the most part I had to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, but, uh, where do you bank? And there were several times where I knew, you know, relationship managers, former colleagues or friends who were at the institution where they banked, they didn't necessarily bank with the person I knew there, but I put them in touch. They were able to kind of check on the process and just, you know, make sure that they had a contact at the bank as opposed to just kind of calling an 800 number. And I, that's, that's one of the things that I like so much about bank United is that we, I always say we have an 800 number. I, I, actually don't know what it is. I literally do not know what our 800 number is. I'm sure Meg's been here long enough that she knows it. I have no idea what our 800 number is. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of bank. I've been here about three years. Uh, I've been working with Meg for uh, almost two years. And, uh, you know, even at its most basic element, we have two bankers on any deal. If there's, if there's a credit aspect, there's a lender, and then there's a banker. Uh, so it's it's sort of a, an interesting model that I think Bank United has proven to work. Um, and it was it was sort of eye opening for me when I joined three years ago. But um, I, I, I just try and do things a little bit differently, man. And I, I always have. And I think that now it just is sort of resonating. And I, I call it karma, call it what you want. But I just think it's the right way of doing business. So, uh, so many questions uh, I want to ask, but before we, we move, move on to the next topic, just can you give us an update on what's happening with PPP? There's so much chatter no. and, and it seems very difficult to get uh, any accurate information about they're forgiving it, they're not forgiving it. What, where are we? What's happening with that now? Yeah, it's um, and at the risk of getting a little bit out over my skis because there is, you know, uh, still sort of a significant lack of guidance and actual traction. I am going to speak in a little bit of generalities, but um, the way that it's working right now is the SBA is essentially open to fielding the applications for forgiveness. So there has been sort of a long, uh, a long wait for them to basically give the thumbs up and say, okay go ahead. Now we can actually accept the applications. They're call it open for business to accept these forgiveness applications. Uh, how that's actually done is going to vary from bank to bank. So my, my number one advice to somebody is just the way that you submitted your application for the funds in a majority of cases is going to be the way that you're going to apply for forgiveness. Uh, that's how it is at Bank United. I would imagine that's how it's going to be uh, with a lot of the other banks. A lot of the banks have these custom built portals that they have had their clients apply for the funds. And they're going to have these custom built portals also be the means by which they apply for forgiveness. That would, that's, again, that's my guess as to how it's going to be at a majority of institutions. Um, the actual timeline is from the day and Meg, wave your hands if I'm giving any bad information, but from the day that you actually submit your forgiveness application, there is 90 days for the SBA to kind of say, okay, cool, check. You've gotten all the boxes checked. You've done everything you need. You've provided all of the correct information. You've used the funds appropriately done, forgiven. You have 90 days from the time you hit submit with your bank in their portal until the SBA says, okay, good. And what happens after that 90 days? Um, I don't know. Uh, again, Meg, if there if there's an update on that, yeah, I'll I'll jump in. Please. Um, so right, so right now we are accepting applications, and you know, obviously everyone's going through their volume and trying to avoid some of the the large um, you know clogs that we ha that every bank I think um, experienced on the the front end. But I think what everyone is concerned about now is do you know can I get forgiven in 2020? Should I wait until 2021? That I think right now is the big question. Should I just take my medicine now and book it for 2020? Or do I leave it up to maybe the rules are going to be better in 2021? And there might be an easier process, um, you know, in regards to taxes and filing, or, you know, 
again, everyone really needs to work with their tax accountant on that question. And I've spoken to multiple attorneys. I've spoken to most multiple accountants. Everybody has a little bit of a different um, opinion. So you have some people who, if I can get it done in 2020, let's do it. Other people actually don't want to submit their, their application and wait till 2021. So, you know, again, we're, we're kind of going through this now. We're at December 1st between you and I. I don't know that there's many applications that will be forgiven in 2020. So most people will be looking at this in 2021. And whether or not Congress decides to, you know, make some sort of change to the tax code, I would think anyone that books it in 2020 would be able to get an adjustment on their following year tax returns if there's something that changed between now and the following year. So for us, we're, we're telling our clients, please work with your accountant, work with your tax advisor. And obviously, some sometimes it's not even in their control because the SBA does have up to 90 days to approve these applications. So even if banks, you know, submitted on day one, it's not guaranteed they're going to actually get the forgiveness confirmation until 2021 as it is. So I would say the majority of clients are going to be pushing this to 2021. And whether or not there's an impact of doing it now or later, I think is yet to be seen. Most people feel it's probably going to be the same. And if rules change, um, you know, they should really grandfather and give the people that maybe, um, you know, took their, you know, took it in 2020, the ability to get an adjustment if that if that was owed to them and the following um, file. So I can't tell you how frustrating this is for me. We, we've, look, we've, we've been blessed with different businesses that we've had some measure of success with. And this is the first time, this relationship aside, of course, but this is the first time that I'm hearing that they're actually taking the forgiveness applications. So think about the relationships that we have locally in the different lending institutions. Not one has confirmed, reached out, sent the notice, anything, informing us that the process has now formally begun to forgive your PPP. So for a lot of the shops out here in Staten Island, we have some big companies and, and those PPPs were significant. Um, this is the type of relationship that we're talking about. Uh, and, and for the life of me, I cannot understand why banking has moved uh, the way it has. It, you know, there's some interesting statistics. Um, family offices and family-owned businesses, the generational businesses that are passed down, I think it is by the, the third generation, 92% of the wealth is lost, right? So you guys are looking at this a little bit differently and saying, hey, let us be a part of that solution. Let us be a part of the consultancy. Let us be a part of, of keeping that business profitable uh, as time wears on. Why has the banking industry made such a, a move? And it, it had to have been a, a conscious decision because we've all felt it to get out of the per personal side of banking. Why has it moved to such an impersonal experience? So in my opinion, I think it's twofold. I think you have regulatory issues, right? So certain banks just trying to keep up with, you know, overhead expenses and the, you know, the, the tracking and sort of the monitoring that's required by some regulators, they've, they've removed the ability for bankers to actually do their job, right? So when I was at a larger institution, I found that there was more and more layers of management. It was harder and harder to get things done. And they wanted to put all these processes in place to control the process so that, you know, you didn't have something go wrong. But in the process, what they did was they ruined that that face-to-face -face interaction and that ability for those bankers to be open and honest with you and have conversations and give them the leeway to make decisions. So I think larger banks and other banks who maybe just in a fear of wanting to control everything actually took a lot of decision-making power away from bankers. Um, whereas we felt the opposite. We empower our bankers. We are one of the few banks that are actually the front line of PPP. I know banks, you know, I have family that work at very one of the top five institutions in the country. They were not allowed to speak to their customers about PPP, not one word. They had to call an 800 number. They had to go to an inbox. They were not allowed to give them any advice for fear that they would give them incorrect advice. And I think, you know, to me, that's just the incorrect way. I know branches that literally said, we have no information. We can't guide you. They didn't provide us any information. So they don't trust their employees to give the right advice 
you know, without putting the bank at risk. And I think that's a failure on a lot of institutions part. And I think keeping it small and less bureaucratic and hiring the right quality candidates and educating them and training them and, you know, arming them with the right information is how to get it done. And so we felt very fortunate that they brought us into the process as much as there were times we were even frustrated that we didn't have all the answers. We were still able to communicate with our customers and explain why maybe we were frustrated that it wasn't our back office. It was the SBA or it was Congress who was delayed, but we were all educated. We were all reading the news articles. We were all keeping in touch with our head of the SBA. So I think communication and empowering the banker on the ground speaking to the customer has just been lost with a lot of these banks that for fear of something, you know, and control, and maybe it is regulatory or they needed to track something, I think have gotten away from that. So we feel fortunate that, you know, Marshall was on the front lines. Marshall was up till four o'clock in the morning processing PPP applications. He actually joined the team. We said, how can we help? Because we knew that this was the focus. This was the most important thing that we could do in those first few months of COVID. And we just feel really grateful that we were able to come through for our clients, you know, and be a part of the process because it is historical. I mean, this is something we've never seen in our lifetimes. And so we just, I, we feel honored that we were able to do it. I'm so glad the bank invested. We spent a lot of money, you know, um, you know, purchasing a software that was able to, you know, process these applications as electronically as we could. Um, and we put about 200 people behind this project at one point in time. So um, I feel grateful that our, you know, executive management trusts us to, um, you know, to be there. And I have to say, we've gotten, Marshall and I have gotten a huge amount of business because of that, because, you know, people couldn't get their banker on the phone. They couldn't submit an application. They couldn't get an answer. And so we got a lot of phone calls and have since, you know, had one of our best years because people realized that they weren't with the right institution because they really didn't have that relationship that they thought they had, or, you know, again, the technology, they were on autopilot, but when they really needed a banker, they couldn't get one. So, uh, you know, it, it is such a, a pressing issue, particularly out here uh, in Staten Island for us as small to mid-sized businesses that even now there's a group of us that are kicking around, like, how do you start a bank? What is it that you could do uh, to get something off the ground? Because prior to COVID, um, there was a programming that we all had, right? You went to the branch and you had that experience. That's gone now. Right. So uh, I think most experts say it's 52 or 62 days to uh, break a habit and create a new habit. So we're all in new habits and we are all operating remotely on on levels. Um, maybe we never even thought we would see uh, at least this soon. So folks are now in the habit of doing things um, differently than they were. I think there's a unique opportunity for you guys now uh, to step in and say, hey, we've, we've adapted this model a long time ago. We're, we're really well ahead of the curve because we all have that complaint. I can tell you the lack of personal relationship uh, with any of our bankers is, has become a real challenge, especially in times like this. Uh, when you need the advice, you need to be able to pick up the phone and speak to someone. It's just not there. Uh, so I, I applaud you for being ahead of the curve there. And I, I think you're in for a wonderful run because I can tell you this will resonate with a lot of our customers, clients, and colleagues uh, because we all experience the same thing. So with PPP, has there been any discussion about additional tranches of PPP or additional stimulus in the future? I, you know, there was talk about it that kind of got held up. Do, do we have any insight as to what may be coming? Unfortunately, Congress is not helping us right now. I think we're all disappointed that there was not a second stimulus. And, you know, even Main Street Lending, there was a couple other programs that just didn't make sense and, and people didn't, you know, didn't participate because of the term. So I think PPP was a great um, a great tool. And I do think they need to build on it. And I think they need to have another stimulus very, very soon. I think we're all, um, you know, not naive enough to know that there's another, you know, possible lockdown or New York pause coming. And I think that there's a lot of people that need help businesses as well as individuals. And I really hope Congress can get their act together. Unfortunately, right now, things seem to be stalled, but hopefully over the next 
few weeks, month. Obviously, we have, uh, you know, January is going to be interesting and we have a new president coming in. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I would hope Congress can get together well before then and help the American people and the American businesses out. I think what they did with PPP was thinking outside the box. And I think we need to do that again. But I have not heard of anything concrete that's coming in the next month or two, which I think, you know, we all need. So, um, yeah, we, we all hope, hope certainly Congress can get it together. Staten Island actually is in another lockdown. The southern part of, of the island, they shut down the gyms. They shut down all in-person dining. Uh, and and people are, are reeling right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's at that point. Yeah. Uh, the first shutdown was difficult. Um, but, you know, we talked about how we would get through it, and we did. We cannot endure a second shutdown without significant help, which is out of the character for a, a lot of us. You know, many of us in the small to mid-sized business community, it's not in our DNA to go to the government for assistance for this type of stuff. Uh, but that's the reality now. Uh, the damage has yeah. been so significant and so profound. There's no way. And it's out of your control. Completely out of our control. Uh, very frustrating. So um, you guys are doing a lot of work with property managers, developers, owner and operators. Talk a little bit about what programs you offer there and, and what are some of the disruptors that United offers in that space? Sure. So we obviously, as Marshall said, for all of our deals, you know, um, we have a commercial real estate team. We have a business banking team. We have middle market CNI. So Marshall and I are deposit bankers and we're basically the glue, right? So you, if you bank with us, you have our cell phone numbers, you have our support team, dedicated support to you. And then for treasury management, you know, um, tools, we bring in our treasury management specialist for if you have a let, you know, because we have clients that have multi different loans, right? So you need a commercial real estate loan here. You need a line of credit here. You need a condo loan here, a supers unit mortgage. So we have different lenders we can pair with you based on the credit that you're looking for. And then we hold the deposits and you have a dedicated support team for new accounts, for wires, for transfers. Um, some of the big technology we've, we've pulled out to and pushed down to commercial clients, which we've always had on the personal side, but mobile deposit, right? So we have supers that are in buildings that get a commercial check. It's one check and everyone's working from home. So, you know, now you can give that super just access to that account just to make that deposit um, instead of having to put it in the mail and track it or someone come in the office and scan it through a remote scanner. So we've always had remote deposit. Obviously, now that's more paramount. But with people working from home, depending on, you know, security levels, you have to reinstall drivers. Mobile deposit for small, you know, smaller volume checks has been big for us. Um, we already launched an online tenant security and escrow platform several years ago, which has been huge. So people can open and close their own some accounts online, cut checks to their tenants, um, you know, and do everything, you know, by, by themselves, essentially. We're always here to help. Bank checks we've still been doing throughout this whole process. Um, you know, so we do have branches that are open and able to help where we need a branch. But our goal really is to give you the power to do all of your banking needs in your office, in your home, wherever that may be. So on the technology side, integrations has also been big for us. So integrating with your accounting platforms, providing automation with your bank statements, bank reconciliation, anywhere we can really automate the process and streamline it for you so that you know, as you take on a new property or as you grow, you don't necessarily have to add people um, and also making your process more seamless. So it's not so paper based. Those are really our big initiatives and our big wins on the technology side and that we're constantly working on as everybody has different management platforms and different processes. But something that we're also able to do is customize it. Right. So Bank United is not so small that we can't do large credit deals, but we're not too big where we can't customize something to you. So if you operate a certain way, you need a file to look a certain way. We can do that for you. And it's not going to be a six month project you know, we can we can really roll it out and implement it and constantly be improving the existing setup, right? Because we have a lot of clients that say, hey, this is how I'm set up at this bank. And we kind of say, well, how would you like to be set up? What are the pain points? What can we do better, especially in this COVID environment where you have people working from home or you only have several people in the office? What can we do to make your end-to-end -end banking process better? And so that's really our goal. If you can, uh, I just want to slow it down for the audience a little bit. You're known as having the best-in-class escrow platform, right, to manage the the large tenant security deposits. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, because that that is very relevant for for my audience. 
Absolutely. So whether you're setting it up on a per building basis or doing a master and then having it set up by building, our platform allows you to create these sub accounts, right? New York's New York state, um, everything up to 1% goes to the managing agent as a fee for whole, you know, managing the tenant security. Obviously rates are very low right now. So that entire fee is going to the landlord or owner as a management fee. And so our platform allows you to open a sub account for a tenant, pull that money in from the master account and fund that account, upload the W-9 for the tenant. And if the tenant moves out, which as we know, other laws were passed where you have to get that tenant security check back within a certain amount of time, you're able to log onto our platform, close out that sub account, transfer the funds to the building operating and cut a check to the tenant. So you can get it much faster instead of going through the paper-based route, a bank check route, you know, getting to the bank a week or two later, you get that, you know, bank check if you're lucky in the mail. Um, we've really automated it so you can do it live, real time, today. So that, that's amazing. Uh, and, and in the, the, the vein of technology and disruption and efficiency, this is, this is what we're looking for, right? We're looking for better ways, uh, more efficient ways for us to do what we do best, to work in our gift and to have the supporting technology to do the other things that shouldn't be uh, as, as laborious as they are at times. So from a scale perspective, uh, to, to have access to that type of platform, how big of a portfolio do you need to, to crack into that, that type of tech in your bank? So we actually just charge a flat monthly fee for as many accounts and sub accounts as you like. So you can have one building with 15 tenants, or you could have 300 buildings with 3,000 tenants, and you know, or 10. We have client, you know, clients that have 10,000 sub accounts, um, 15,000 sub accounts on our platform. So there's no limit. Um, there's really just one flat fee a month to have the ability to do it online. There's all sorts of security customization. So if you have people in your office that you only want to be able to open sub accounts and only want to be able to close sub accounts, you can do that as well. So there's security in the platform. And again, there's no limit. There's just a small monthly fee. Um, and then obviously the interest that we pay um, on the tenant security sub accounts will go to you as the administration fee. We also have escrow. So we do bank a lot of title companies. You have escrow agreements with different, you know, clients or tenants. You, you know, if it has nothing to do with tenant security, which is governed, you know, by New York state and their laws, we have a regular escrow um, master account that you can open as well. And then open up sub escrow accounts under the res, you know, tenant's name and tax ID or the, you know, commercial tenant, however you'd like to set it up and you can put funds in there as well. And any interest that's earned on those sub accounts actually goes to the to the tenant or the resident um, or your client. So and we also do DACA agreements, Bank United Services, a lot of um, deposit account control agreements. So if you have a loan that you've done with another bank, for whatever reason, Bank United can't do the loan, that's okay. We're happy to service it for you. And we basically we have boilerplate documents or we'll work with your lenders um, deposit account control agreement and we'll negotiate it. And basically, you know, we can service the day-to-day -day deposits and, you know, either sweep the money to the lender or have it in place so that the lender could, you know, send us a notification. Um, you know, it, there's obviously several different ways you can set up deposit account control agreements. We call them DACAs. So, you know, things like that are other things we love to participate in. So even if we don't have the loan, we can still manage the deposits and bring you the technology. That's amazing. Um, Marshall, we, we've talked a bit about homeowners associations and condo financing, some of the, the customized banking solutions you guys offer. As you know, Staten Island, uh, we have quite a bit of the HOAs and condos, quite a bit of the PUDs. Can you talk a little bit about the programs you offer there and, and, and how that perhaps would translate to some of the condo developments that we, we've got out here on the island? Sure. Um, yeah, the, the whole concept of financing a homeowners association um, or a, a condo association, whatever it ends up being, whatever structure, is um, is something that I'm happy not a lot of banks do and also surprised. Um, it's, you know, in, in the city, there are a ton of banks who will finance mortgages on co-ops. Every bank will give you a nice rate on an underlying co-op mortgage but there's a very limited amount of banks who are actually going to finance condo associations or HOAs. And the reason for that is 
theoretically it's it's unsecured. You know, there's no actual hard collateral in the way that when you're doing a mortgage for a co-op, you can actually place the mortgage and you know, you have collateral. But with an HOA, there's no there's no collateral. You're not actually placing a lien. It's strictly you have the right, you know, the assessments. There's obviously going to be an additional assessment uh, made to cover the debt service. And uh, that's sort of the way that we feel comfortable that we're going to be paid back. Because if you've got a hundred units or if you've got a hundred doors in an association, you're still spreading this monthly payment out across a hundred different borrowers in essence. Yes, it's one borrower in the association, but you're spreading it out across a hundred different units or a hundred different people, a hundred different owners. Um, you know, the, the process itself is pretty simple. Uh, we work with the board, we work with the property management companies and there's, you know, there's, I think like seven or eight primary underwriting points. Uh, we like to make sure that there's not a lot of arrears that everybody is up to date on their common charges or maintenance. Uh, we like to make sure, you know, that the average values of the properties and the recent sales, uh, that we're not getting a, you call it loan to value, call it what you want, but we're not getting a, you know, a $2 million loan and the aggregate value of all the properties is, is 4 million. You know, we don't want to be over leveraged on in that respect. Um, we want to make sure that in, you know, in New York city, when there's a lot of new construction condos going on, we want to make sure that the sponsor, uh, the owner has been out of the project for a while that the board itself has control for several years that there's, you know, not more than 20% ownership by any one entity. So there's, there's a lot of very basic underwriting criteria. So it's not, a, it's not a complicated product, but, and again, in its essence, it is theoretically unsecured, which I think makes a lot of banks uncomfortable. I'm happy to do that, that the other banks will not, because I don't know that we've ever had one go bad. Uh, the gentleman that I work with, his name is Peter Dumel. Meg, how long has he been doing this? He's been doing it for, what, 15, 20 years? I mean, he's been doing yeah, it a long about time. about 18 so, years now. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't know that we've ever had one go bad. They're, they're great loans. It's a great product. It's, it's a great service that we offer that not a lot of other banks do. And, you know, especially in this niche uh, of banking property management companies, it's an, it's an unbelievable asset that we have to be able to say yes in addition to having a best-in-class tenant security technology, uh, you know we have an unbelievable service staff. We can also work with you to finance your condo associations and your HOAs because uh, you know there's you know I can count on one hand the banks that will do it in the city. So to be clear, let's let's assume we have a solvent HOA. Developers out of the picture, as you had said, there's no uh, one investor that's controlling 20% or more. Uh, for obvious reasons, let's assume we check all of those boxes. You're underwriting based on the receivables of the association for the fees, correct? Yeah, the, the budget, basically the annual, but we'll take a look at the annual budget. We're going to look at the reserves, make sure that they haven't just completely dwindled down to nothing. Uh, we're going to make sure again, that people are paying on time, like you said. Um, and it, as long as it checks all the boxes, it, you know, it, we typically don't like to go I think our policy says 50 units. We don't like to go below that, but you know, if, if all the units are worth, you know, several million dollars, then that certainly makes us a little bit more comfortable lending on a smaller association. So um, there, there, there is a little bit of wiggle room and, you know, room to mitigate certain risks that our underwriters may perceive, but um, it's, again, it, it's not a complicated product. Uh, it, it's, it's just something that, uh, we've fortunately been able to get comfortable with, and we do a lot of it. So and what's nice about it too, sorry to interrupt. So we can do, say you want to redo the lobby, right. Or the, you know, the parking garage, or, you know, you have a large landscaping project, right. So you, you need to take out a million dollars. We can actually do a line of credit for 12 to 24 months while that project is happening and you can draw it down. So you're not paying interest from day one. And then usually after a year to two years, most projects are done within a year. So after 12 months, it, whatever you've drawn down will term out to say three, five, seven years, 10 years. You know, most clients like to keep it in the five to seven year range, um, you know, fully amortizing. And again, it depends on how much you're increasing those maintenance fees, right? We want to make sure it's comfortable for everyone.
And a lot of times, you know, it requires a board vote depending on their bylaws. So we obviously work with a lot of condo and, um, you know, condo attorneys as well that can help the board through that process and make sure that, you know, everyone's on board with what term they want to go for, um, you know, and those are really the options. But it's a great pro- pro- you know, product for large, large projects where, you know, everyone writing a check up front is really just not um, feasible. And the other product we have for this market is if they own the supers unit. So if the supers unit is owned by the association um, or the HOA, we can actually finance that up to 75% LTV. We'll get an appraisal and it's just another way to generate some cash flow for the building. Um, And usually I think that's again, like five years, you know, we we can give you the information on that um, product as well. So uh, you you went right where, where I was going to, to, to ask you about. So are there other restrictions? Is it like a work in place loan where if there's going to be a specific project or is there financing provided uh, for the HOA and within the, the confines of their bylaws, they're able to disperse the, uh, the, the, the money and whatever different capital projects they may have on the board? Uh, how does the structure of that actually work? Yeah. So it depends on the, depends on what they're using it for. Right. So we're not going to, we don't just give a line of credit to, you know, to a condo and, you know, we really want to tie it to a specific project and depending on the size of the loan, we will actually monitor the progress. We will send out an engineer to inspect it and basically make sure that the work is being done properly and the funds are being used properly. If it's a smaller loan, we're probably not going to monitor it. We're just going to monitor the financials and make sure that everyone's still paying on time um, and making sure that if an assessment had, obviously we won't even close. If, if, there, if the bylaws require a vote to increase the maintenance fees um, and there's no way around that and you need a full vote, we actually have to wait for that vote in order to close the loan. Um, but sometimes it can just be a vote amongst the board members, depending on the bylaws. So, and depending on the amount. So everyone's a little bit different, but you know, we've seen everything, obviously, as Marshall said, Peter's been doing this a really long time. We have a lot of great condo attorneys that can also work with us and the board, depending on what it is, you know, you have, you know, clients obviously now with COVID, you can do it all via Zoom, but prior to COVID, it was tough to get everybody to vote. And so that would delay these loans, um, sometimes several months with people on vacation. But now I think they're, you know, authorizing a Zoom vote. And, you know, if there's a project that needs to get done, you can get that done fairly quickly. Remarkable product. So as we look forward to 2021, 2022, and perhaps 2023, we do consulting for some some larger investors and for some family offices. Uh, and we're, we're having a lot of discussion about what are the asset classes that for a number of different reasons, we think it's time to start pulling back on. And the question becomes, uh, okay, we, we see the legislative threats, we see some of the, the, the standard market indicators that have us a little concerned, where do we deploy that capital? Uh, so what we are recommending and what we're, we're looking further into and have begun uh, actually with two of our clients in moving forward with that strategy is, is divesting from some of the brick and mortar and uh, through opportunity zones and a few other creative Uh, tools, taking some of that capital and redeploying it and investing in businesses and investing in entrepreneurs and people. Um, Is there any product that you guys offer uh, on the business acquisition side that um, for these folks that are getting out of the multifamilies or getting out of the retail or, you know, whatever the asset class is that we're recommending they shift from, uh, do you offer financing for that type of acquisition? I think it depends on the type of business, right? So we have, Marshall and I have actually helped coordinate several acquisitions amongst property management firms. And we do have certain products in place for property managers and owners that want to buy portfolios or buy management companies. We do have a product in place to help them do that. And I think that's because obviously if they're in the business and they're buying an additional business and there's deposits and other cash tools that come with that, we can sort of quantify it. So I think it depends on the type of businesses that they're looking to invest in. So certainly we have a business banking group. We have a CNI group as well. Um, we would pull in that particular lender depending on the size of the deal, depending on the industry. So if it's an industry that we know well and you know we can assist, we absolutely will. Um, I think it really just depends on what type, like you said, entrepreneurship, 
you know, really depends on the real estate side. Absolutely. We have products in place um, to help people buy portfolios and buy management companies. You know, we've certainly been integral even in the last two years um, on a couple of deals, which has been exciting for us um, and certainly yielded deposits and, and other opportunities. Um, but as far as going into other avenues, other industries, technology, things like that, we would probably pull in, depending on the deal, we would look at the deal with you, bring in the right lender and see if it's something we can participate in. So I think it's from a, a vertical integration perspective where there are existing businesses in the portfolio and there is an opportunity because you're uh, liquidating and you're going to be a cash heavy. Uh, there's these, these uh, again, as technology continues to disrupt every industry, we're finding that there are vertical integrations everywhere where you can kind of escalate up the ladder and you can create efficiencies within that mothership, if you will, uh, by acquiring these, these one-offs as you move up the line. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is going to be, uh, it's going to seem like a silly question, but it's not. Um, are you lending today? Are you guys actually doing loans today? Yeah. We are. <laughs> yeah. Marshall, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's, 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 as with most banks, it's yes, but um, they're, they're not going to be, I should, I should say, we are not going to be more aggressive than we were back in March and April. If anything, we're going to be a little bit more conservative like most banks. Um, there are additional questions um, as to how your business is handling quarantine and lockdown and the pandemic. Um, you know, what are your plans? What have you implemented to, you know, see yourself through this? So there are specific questions that we've added to the underwriting process to get us more comfortable. Um, you know, and, and again, without getting too far over my skis, uh, I would have to defer to one of the lenders I would bring in. So the answer is yes, but um, I do know that we've we've done a couple of deals. We worked with some of our lenders to provide financing, as Meg said, for uh, for some of the acquisitions, the property management portfolio acquisitions that we've done over the last year or so. Um, so we're definitely lending uh, on the real estate side. Same thing. A lot of the lending we're doing is to existing clients who are looking to refinance or you know known. Triple A, uh, you know, people who you would recognize their name or their firm, people that we feel comfortable with, that if something goes south, uh, they're not going to just walk away from the project. They're not just going to walk away from the building. We know that we have a history with them. We feel comfortable lending to them in this market. Um, so th those are the types of loans that we feel comfortable doing these days. Um, I, again, it's, it's just sort of a yes, we are, but kind of thing. So it's refreshing, though, to hear that you are looking outside of the normal banking parameters, right? Uh, we had a, a discussion on, on one of the other podcasts uh, about exactly that. Uh, as a lender, I would want to know, how are you handling it today, right? Did you take forbearance if you really didn't need it? How have you handled the portfolio? Have you stayed current? Uh, what type of continuity plans do you have in place? These are things that many of us have worked very hard to put into place uh, and we've worked very hard to ensure we have not taken uh, forbearance and we have not, uh, you know, kind of played within the rules of the system. But we feel it should be recognized uh, when we are now looking to uh, take the next step and, and acquire the next portfolio or buy the next business or whatever it may be. Uh, so it is really refreshing to hear that answer uh, because so many of the other lenders it's yes and here it is here's the checklist you know do you fit in this box and if you don't sorry we can't do business today uh, but it sounds like you have that flexibility to look at what in our mind is what really does matter right is how are you operating right now uh, under stress uh, because if you're able to to make it through these times you know 2008 is another great example after 9/11 for us locally superstorm sandy Many of us have been here uh, before 9-11. We're still here today. Uh, we've been through our stress tests, if you will, uh, and we understand how to get lean and mean and, and how to operate, but we're looking for a partner that recognizes that sacrifice because it's a lot of sacrifice and recognizes that ambition that in these times, we're not looking to just be in bunker mode. We're looking to grow because there is opportunity out there. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think right now, um, just, you know, especially within the industry that Meg and I work, there's so much change. There is. Yes, there's a lot of chaos. But, you know, for the companies with which we work, a lot of times chaos provides opportunity. 
And we've seen a ton of them take advantage of having people at home to focus on additional projects, implement new technologies, do research on up and coming technologies that may not necessarily be able to roll out. I was listening to another podcast about artificial intelligence within the property management world. Uh, and, it, and it just like it blew my mind some of the stuff that they're actually working on. And I think that um, you know, over the next couple of years, as what is it, millennials and, and Gen Z, as everybody starts to kind of become the, as they start to become the primary tenants, if they already if they aren't already, they're going to demand technology. And they've grown up their entire lives with technology. They've grown up their entire lives doing everything online, for better or worse. And they're going to demand it. And the industry in which we operate has traditionally been fairly slow to adopt a lot of this technology. And, you know, Meg uh, was fortunate enough. She worked in one of these companies that sort of was in the right place in the right time, helped them grow as ClickPay. I'm, I'm talking about ClickPay, uh, you know, one of the uh, larger receivables, uh, rent collection softwares out there. But there's, there's a ton of softwares and there's a ton of new technologies that these property management firms are developing. Um, it, it's unbelievable. It really is. So if you, uh, if you speak their language, there is amazing opportunities. If you don't, and traditional lenders do not, nope. I think they're in for an absolute rude awakening. James, that that is that's that's me. I mean, again, we've talked about this. I was a lender for seven or eight years, and then I joined Meg's team, and I was like, I, "The hell are you talking about?" I had I was I I said what I just said. Listen, kids' gloves. Deal with my stupid questions because it is it's a completely different language. You know, you're not tearing apart balance sheets and doing financial analysis. You have to understand how the cash moves through these businesses. Uh, you know, for, for a majority of my career, the most important part of my client's balance sheet was, it was the financing. It was, it was, their, it was the liabilities. It was, their, it was getting them access to credit so they can grow and so they can work to increase their business, whether it's seasonality or acquiring equipment, financing their warehouse. And now when we're working with property management firms, by far the most important part of their business is making sure their their cash management is set up properly. They have, you know, sometimes tens of millions of dollars coming through the accounts. Almost none of it's theirs. It's their clients. And, you know, when you're talking about that added layer of fiduciary responsibility, if something is set up even the slightest way incorrectly, it could it could be it could be a big deal. And, you know, I've I've been doing this all of 2 years, so I am uh, obviously an expert, but I mean, I, I still am, you know, continuously asking Meg and the rest of the team these questions because it is a completely, completely different language. Well, I, I'm very excited for the opportunity for Bank United to continue to grow in this space as we move into whatever this next, you know, life after Corona looks like. I think you guys are beautifully positioned. I'm excited for the opportunities between our companies to grow uh, I want to thank both of you for taking the time today to speak the language. And this, I really think, is going to be of tremendous value to so many of our clients and colleagues, uh, because until I met you, Marshall, um, I, I didn't even know it existed to this level, to be very candid. And I think there's a lot of us out there that uh, thought that banking uh, in any type of personal way, never mind the level that you guys have gone through to partner with your clients, we thought it was dead. So it's very refreshing to hear this. Uh, I'm excited for it. I know the audience will be excited for it. What's the best way to, to get a hold of you? How do people reach out? Sure. So uh, my email, I'm, I'm always happy to uh, provide my email. It's mfulton at bankunited.com. Dot com. Again, that's M Fulton, F-U-L-T-O-N at bankunited.com. Shoot me an email. Always happy to chat. Okay, great. Megan, uh, Marshall, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations with all of the success and uh, best wishes moving forward. And uh, I hope everyone stays safe.